I'm Dave, owner of Farm Fresh Carterville. I already know my customers are some of the coolest, best people around, but checkout's a fast place and people are on the go. I decided to try to slow things down and get to know my regulars, to discover who they are, to hear their stories, to check in with the people who check out with me. On this episode of Check In, Check Out, we catch up with Farm Fresh regular and longtime Carterville resident Shorty Brown in the Farm Fresh studio. Well, you were telling me about... Um... And I think this is interesting because, you know, I live here. <laughs> but you were telling me about this place where we're sitting right now, a little house yeah. of Farm Fresh, and that you'd been here before. Tell mm-hmm. me about that. Yeah. Well, uh, I was always good friends of the family. Uh, of course, their daughter, Linda. She and that's was, the Corbett's? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, she was, um, she married a guy from Heron. Um, they divorced. But anyway, um I pretty well knew them well enough that, you know, sometimes they would invite me in for coffee or, you know, and I kind of hung around the station and and uh, they always did the services on my car. Okay. And, so when uh, you say the station, you're talking about the, the, it was a mechanic gas station here? Yeah, well, yeah, it started out just a regular city service uh, gas station is what it was. Okay. And, uh, cause I remember the big sign had the big green dinosaur on it mm-hmm. and, uh, just basically, uh, not exactly, but sort of, uh, part of the family. I get you. I mean, yeah. I, I knew them that well. Yeah. And I used to, uh, I remember Linda's mother was a real heavy smoker and, uh, I used to talk to her a lot about. And she had emphysema, you know, and I always asked her, why do you smoke uh, when you know that's what caused you to have these breathing problems, yet uh, you're you're still smoking. Mm-hmm. And uh, she'd uh, more or less tell me to kiss her rumpus, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> she said, it's my body and I'll do what I, I want. And I said, well, you're right. It is. But I said, I just look for an answer. And I said, you haven't given me an answer, uh-huh. you know? And she said, well, probably I won't because I enjoy smoking. <laughs> so, but, uh, Sam, uh, her husband was the fire chief at, at one time. Okay. And, uh, that's when it was, let's see, where was it? Well, they built that building down here first, where the old fire station used to be. And uh, I remember that old white, I think it was about a 1955 Chevrolet. They only had one fire truck. And uh, I remember one instance, they had a fire on uh, East Illinois. And I remember, I just just happened to be downtown at the time. And uh, I heard the siren. I saw the truck. I was standing uh, across the street where the bank used to be, and I remember hearing the siren. And all of a sudden, which, I, which, which, for those of us who don't didn't grow up here, where was the old fire station located? Where, where yeah, was it? Where was that? I'm trying to get the, the lay of the land here. The old, the original fire station was in the uh, homes garage where the fire station is now that, okay. that, that building okay and uh, of course he had to go across the street to get in the truck anyway he come i remember 
he turned that corner right there to go on East Illinois, and there used to be a phone booth on the corner. Mm. And uh, he missed that phone booth. That truck actually, he took it so fast that it actually slid when he went around the corner and about that far from that phone booth. Oh, my. Yeah. Just he never lunches. slowed down. He just kept oh. going. He was a good, he was a good fireman. Mm. I mean, uh, he he was Johnny on the spot. A lot of things happened in my growing up period, you know. Mm. Uh, Carville's, uh, it has a lot of history, mm. you know, and uh, I'm, I'm proud that I grew up in this, this little town. Well, what, tell me a little bit about that. Like, what did you used to get up to when you were a kid? What was there for a kid to do around here? What did I do yeah, as a kid? As a kid, yeah. Well, in, a, in the summertime, uh, the old cuts out here where there used to be a strip mining, and there was a, um, a drag line that was left in the water, mm-hmm. and we used to climb up that thing and then jump off into the water. Then we, uh, <laughs> right behind the uh, funeral home, it used to be where that parking lot is. That was all heavily wooded. And I remember one time, and this is one of the craziest things that I ever done and got involved in. <laughs> we was out there with BB guns like we were at war. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it was so stupid looking back on it because we could have shot somebody in the eye or, or, you know, just silly things like that. But... As the old saying goes, kids will be kids. Yeah, very true. Very and true. Uh, so we did sh- stuff like that. Uh, we pretty much we had to had to make our own make our own way of, of doing things. You know, we sure. just just kind of uh, there was usually about five or six of us that kind of ran together. Which, you know, that's true today. I mean, kids like that kind of bunch up. But uh, we just had a lot of fun. We didn't have the luxuries that kids have today. We we had to just, but you just had each day. It was something different, you know. That's that's how I grew up, hmm. and uh, I used to, <laughs> I used to visit all the stores. Okay, I just go in and say hi, you know. Yeah, and I remember where this dancing studio is right now. That used to be a Kroger store. Kroger. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, the gentleman who was who ran it, uh, his name was Greer, and his dad was a big time politician. But I'd stop in there and see him, and then I'd go back in the area. I always was fascinated watching a butcher mm. cut meat, you know, the different things. The uh, butcher's name, last name was Lindsay. We called him Butch. And, uh, um, but I'd go back there, and if he was fixing something that was edible, you know, immediately, I knew I was going to get a free meal. <laughs> <laughs> and you see what it did to me. <laughs> I was so well, I really, I was so well known in this town that everybody, when you mentioned Shorty Brown, they, they knew who you're talking about. And uh, a lot of those people passed away not knowing my real name. Mm. Remember graduation out of the eighth grade, the uh, principal, uh, they didn't have superintendents back then, like they do, you know, now, but mm-hmm. he would address the name of the person 
you were in front of me and he announced your name. I got to a certain point and he announced my name. Mm-hmm. Well, he uh, he announced my real name and I remember distinctly <laughs> everybody was looking at each other and, and giggling and and uh, I later found out they were saying, well, who who is that? Well, you know, we, we don't know that name. And they really didn't. He realized that people had known me all my life and didn't know my real name. And he addressed it. He said, that's alias Shorty Brown. And the place just erupted laughing and embarrassed the snot right out of me. You know, <laughs> there I was. And I'm the center of attraction all of a sudden. Sure. But uh, it's just things like that I remember my childhood. We played a lot of pool too. Okay. Yeah, there was there was three pool holes in this town at one time. Where whereabouts were those? All right. Um, I don't know. Well, uh, Pulley Electric, you know mm-hmm. that building. That used to be a pool hall and a barbershop, okay. and uh, played a lot of pool in there. Right across the street where the pantry is. Mm-hmm was a pool hall. We just walked out of one pool hall into another and uh, played a lot of, I don't know if you're familiar with pool or not, but a lot of snooker. Sure. And uh, But we played a lot of money money games too. Hmm. Nine ball, eight ball. The other pool hall was right where the pizza place is now. Okay. And uh, the guy that ran that particular pool hall was named, his nickname was Cooch. I don't know how he got that name, like how I got Shorty, I guess. But uh, I remember you'd go in there, and and the kids would say, "Cooch, could I uh, could I buy you a drink? You know, a soda." And he'd always say, "No, but I'll take the money." But what he'd do, he had a he had a, a huge jar. I don't know what it originally was for, but he he'd take the money and uh, put it in that jar. And I got lucky and got to go one time. He would take that money at, um, and sometime during the baseball season, like in St. Louis, he'd take that money and he'd count it all out and whatever it lacked for him to rent a bus to take the, uh, he was big on little league baseball. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd take that money, count it out, whatever it took in the difference, you know, to rent that bus, he'd rent the bus and, and he'd take, uh, all the kids he could on that bus to a baseball game. Mm-hmm. Done it every year. Great man. Cooch Embry. My dad was a minister. He didn't like he didn't like me going into pool halls. Mm. And I remember one time, I never did go in the front door. <laughs> they had a side door in the alley, and I'd go in the alley, make sure he wasn't around. That particular day, though, he happened to drive by and saw me go in that side door. Boy, he come in there and embarrassed me and didn't exactly drag me out, but he, he got me out. <laughs> I got I got my tail fan for it, too. Mm. I played a lot of sports. Okay. In, in grade school, basketball, track. I was a shot putter, ran the 400-yard uh, relay. And nobody would believe that looking at me today. <laughs> <laughs> but we did. We broke the conference record. It's really? been it's been broken since. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I think uh, when I was a senior in high school, it got broke mm-hmm. in the Black Diamond Conference mm-hmm. for the, you know, elementary school. 
I was always involved in some kind of sports. Hmm. Basketball, track, football, uh, baseball. Growing up here was, I look back and it was very enjoyable those years. Hmm. I, uh, I didn't, like anyone else I guess, I didn't really appreciate what was going on in those years until I got up like when I was in the Navy, you know, I've been in the Navy a couple of years and I, I just started thinking about my childhood and growing up and uh, things that I should have uh, been recognizing and, and appreciating at the time. But, you know, that just comes with age. Grew up in a good family. We never, we was poor. We was never cold in the winter, never went hungry or anything like that. My dad was... He raised six kids on $62 a week. Mm. That's what he made working right here at Heckles. He's a, he worked for, it was Ellis's store in the beginning. Mm -hmm. I remember a picture of my dad on a 1941 Ford pickup, standing beside that pickup with Ellis's store on it. Mm. Um, not, not very many people can brag on that because it's just, things that didn't happen and uh, but he was there 52 years wow missed one day in 52 years one and my dad always said staying home doesn't get the bills paid son and, and I, ne I never forgot that hmm. I, I kind of lived by that my entire life of course I was a cop here in town for five years and then went to marry to the state's attorney's office for another four and I have a, I have a degree uh, in uh, my background in, in law enforcement. Mm. So when people, I have people come up to me today and say, "You was," I, I never took this seriously, but they they'd say, "You was the best cop this town ever had," <laughs> you know. But but I treated people like I wanted to be treated. Yeah. And you know, if you if you cooperate, if there's a problem, and, and and you know you try to work it out, and sometimes it was immediate. You just you know you had to put the cuffs on them. Sure. But there's times when certain things uh, that occurred, if it wasn't you know a matter of life or death or whatever, you know, uh, I've always taken the approach that you know what if that was me. Mm. And you know, I'm talking about giving people a break, right? And I'd say, look, if I have to come back here again, you know, it's not going to be as easy as standing here talking to you. And most of the time, people appreciate that. And sometimes it shakes them, you know, and, and they say, hey, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, it's just not allowed. <laughs> but. Uh, I learned a lot uh, being involved in law enforcement. Mm. A lot about uh, just things in general, a lot about people. A lot of times you, you'd figure out, or in your mind, you know, when you get a call, maybe in your mind you're thinking, how, how is this going to turn out, you know? Sure. But a, a domestic dispute was, was the worst one. Well, one example, I got a call. And this lady told the dispatcher that her husband had a shotgun, and I'd known the family all my life. Mm -hmm. And but 
when a person is drinking or on drugs or whatever, they're not thinking straight. And so when I got the call, even though I knew these people, I knew it was a dangerous situation. And and I talked that guy out of that shotgun. Did you really? What'd you say to him? Huh? What'd you say to him? Well, first of all, she was standing on the front porch when I got there. So I asked her where he was at, how he was positioned, you know, was he facing me or was his back to me? You know, these are things you need to know before you... you <laughs> You walk into a situation because even then there's no no guarantee regardless of where he was sitting and how how it was going to turn out. But I stepped inside the door and I already had my my pistol uh, unsnapped, ready if if I needed it. And I just kept I, ne I never advanced toward him. I just kept talking to him. And uh, finally, it got down to the situation where. You know, I, I remember saying to him, you know, uh, you've known me all my life, but I've known you several years, you know, and I, and I remember saying, you, you, you're a good person. What you're involved in right now is, is it's the alcohol is talking. It's not you. And I just kept talking and I said, I know you got that shotgun right there. It was a, a swivel rocker that's what it was and uh, I said I know you've got that gun beside you and I said I asked him I said is it loaded and he said it was and I said well I said you know um, I don't know about you but I love living and I said uh, I think we can work this out if, if you'll cooperate with me and I asked him I said would you take the shotgun and put it, lay it on the floor, take your foot and move the shotgun away from you as far as you can. And uh, he said, well, come on in. I said, no, I won't, I won't come any farther until you do what I tell you. And he did. Mm -hmm. And to this, well, he's, he's dead now, but several times after that, he, he'd always say to me, he appreciated what I did. So, mm -hmm. you know, Fortunately, I think that's the only situation as a as a policeman here in town that I got involved in um, where there was a, a weapon involved. Yeah, I did Santa Claus here in town for eighteen years. You were you were Santa Claus here? Yeah, in town? I did it. Yeah, really. Yeah, not only <laughs> we did it at the what is now the pantry that they okay. built that building. That's where we had it, and uh, I got a plaque. I don't, I don't know where it's at, but somewhere on the line of me moving around, it uh, it's disappeared somehow. But a real nice plaque one year, it, it said, uh, I remember the inscription on it was, uh, number one Santa Claus. <laughs> but uh, Now you, uh, you ended up uh, in the Navy. You've told yeah. me about that some. About I went in the Navy right out of such. high school. I went in the Navy and volunteered for submarine duty out of the boot camp. Mm -hmm. the, the school, when, when uh, I went in the Navy, the school for submarine sailors had just started. So okay. uh, the school back then was um, 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. We was in school and the instructor one day says, uh, 
there was 20, 24, yeah, 24 in my class. He uh, got up and made a statement. He said, uh, week eight, he said, uh, is it, we're going to the tower to do your free ascent. He said, but when, when we come back from that particular day, we'll probably have 12 to maybe 14 in this class. And some old boy piped up and said, well, why is that? And he said, well, you get to that tower, 100 foot tower, and you got to make a free ascent from the very bottom to the top with nothing to breathe with. Mm. And boy, that's when I really started thinking about it. And and uh, he said, uh, that's where they separate the men from the boys. Now, this is a test that simulates, hmm? this is a test that simulates like escaping from yeah. uh, yeah. a, a down something. exactly what correct? it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you had nothing, you know, you just had a life jacket on, that was it. And uh, so when we got down there, uh, right off right off the bat, three of them said they didn't want to do it. Of course, it being a uh, uh, volunteer service, you could back out anytime you want. Mm-hmm. Even after you got on submarines, if you didn't like it, you could just tell your division officer and, and then it got up to the captain that you wanted off. You didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I decided I'm going to do it. Well, you have three chances, and you get in this this tower. I forget, they had nicknames for it, but anyway, you would uh, put you in a lock, and they'd bring the water up up right here to your chin. Mm-hmm. And then you had a life jacket, and you had a rope, they called it a lanyard, and with a, with a handle on it. And the instructions were, when it come your turn, you turned your back, on the the opening and when it was your turn the diver he'd grab that lanyard and he'd jerk it like that and that meant you'll start your little deal well i did all right i got out started up and 50 feet to the surface is the most critical part of, of a free ascent okay because uh if you don't get the air out of your lungs you get the bends, mm-hmm. and uh, I never had them. I didn't know anybody personally that had them, but the instructor said you don't want them because he said it's it's the pain is just unbelievable. Mm. And uh, but I got to, I guess I got to around fifty feet, and I wasn't blowing hard enough. They thought to get enough air out of my lungs to continue. So I'll never forget that diver. He hit me in, in the right, and I mean, right there, just hard mm-hmm. as he could hit me. And I, I, I remember there was a bubble came <laughs> came out of my mouth as big as that pillow. Oh my! Yeah. <laughs> and well, and then they drug me into what they call a lock, you know, and it's it's pressurized, and uh, oh, they're chewing my butt out. And, of course, my ears was filled up. I couldn't hear. And uh, all the time, that lock is traveling up to the top. And uh, so we get up there, and my ears start opening up. God, they were chewing my butt out. The instructor said, 
said, Clown, he said, you got to do this two out of three times. And you've already destroyed one. Mm. And I just made up my mind that I was going to do it. You know, I was going to do those two. And I did. My first duty station was uh, on the USS George Washington, which was the first uh, missile submarine in the world at the time. Mm. And uh, I wasn't in a commissioning crew, but that's when my orders took me. So I stayed on there for uh, almost three years. Like I made, yeah, I made four, four patrol, five patrols. So I did that and came back and I got orders to uh, new construction. No, no, I went to a, a diesel boat, World mm -hmm. War II boat, okay. the Sea Robin, and then I was awaiting another school for the launcher system, and so they, they, I got off of that sea, and they sent me to the Sea Robin, another diesel boat. Hmm. So I, I, I spent almost six months on them two boats waiting schools. Huh. Got got the schools all done, and then uh, I went to the USS Gato, which was a, a nuclear fast attack. Hmm. I was on it only about eight months. That school that I had been waiting on finally came through, so I went to that school. But after the school, I got orders to uh, to a new construction at Electric Boat, and I was in the commissioning crew of the James K. Polk. Nice. And not not many, even submarine sailors can um, say you was on the world's first missile submarine, and then a, you know in a commissioning crew. I watched that thing built from the, from the keel till it was done. Wow. And we went on sea trials. Mm. I served on it uh, a little over five years. When I first got out of the Navy, a friend of mine was the business agent uh, down here with the old log cabin. Mm -hmm. That's where the had their meetings. And I went to a meeting one night and joined the union. And it was a construction laborer for mm, about three years mm. and then one night I was I didn't I didn't have a car to tie for some reason anyway I'd been downtown here something was going on whatever and I was walking home I, mom and dad we, we lived on Michigan Avenue right you know where the Baptist first Baptist church is mm -hmm. well if you were standing like the building was standing like in the center of it. Yeah. That street right there across from it was Michigan Avenue. But anyway, I was walking home and uh, Bill Davis, who used to be the chief here, mm -hmm. he was just a patrolman. I turned the corner there to go home and he turned and he said, uh, get in, get in here. I need to talk to you. And I said, I ain't got no business in that squad car. And no, he says, no, come on. It'd be all right. And he talked to me about becoming a policeman. Hmm. And I first told him, I said, I don't think I could do it. What do you mean? I said, I got too many friends in this town. I I, I couldn't, I just can't do it. And, yeah, you can. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, he talked me into it. And I was here about three months and uh, got into school at Champaign. But anyway, uh, that's how I became a policeman. I did that till I... 
my uh, one of my high school buddies became state's attorney, hmm. and he approached me about would I like to come over and be his investigator? And I, I first turned him down. I said no. I said uh, I don't I don't know much about the investigation that that I would be involved in and that type of thing. And uh, but he he talked me into it. So I went there and was with him for four years. But I've enjoyed every, everything I've ever done in any place I've ever worked. That's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. Um, I learned a lot. I saw a lot. I don't look at myself as something special. Uh, never have. I've, I've always learned to appreciate my growing up and appreciate other people, you know, and their opinions because that counts. And uh, if you're not willing to listen, instead of flipping your lips, you know, um, you got problems. You got severe problems. I agree. Somewhere along the line, you're going to meet your Waterloo. That's just the way it works. Yeah. I'm I'm a giver. I'm not a taker. In other words, I would rather do something to help you or, or give you something that you need, but I don't expect nothing in return for that. Yeah. That's why, I guess, the Santa Claus deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I just... I didn't see myself doing that and taking money for it. Mm. It didn't make sense because I knew and understood why I was doing it. I don't know. It's just me. In my growing up, the years that I spent in my childhood especially, I'm proud of the way I was raised. I think that a lot of times coming from a big family, we were poor, but we were happy. Again, I'm nothing special, but... Uh, my mom thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for, for being here today. Thank you for talking with me. I, oh, that's great. I really enjoyed this. Uh, you'll probably hear more out of me. This is, I think, uh, the best way we could have started this. <laughs> check In, Check Out is produced by me, Dave Armstrong, with original music from John Michael Wiggs. Thanks for listening.